Today on the Show Me Institute podcast, Susan Pennegrass is joined by Howard Wall. Dr. Wall directs the Hammond Institute for Free Enterprise and the Center for Economics and the Environment at Lindenwood University, and is also a research fellow at the Show Me Institute. For more Show Me Institute podcasts, visit showmeinstitute.org. Here's Dr. Susan Pennegrass. Well, thanks for joining me this morning to talk about the economy. You're an economist. You're the right person for the job. Yeah. We've had some interesting things happen in the economy lately, as we were just talking about the whole thing with GameStop. And I've heard good and tortured explanations. Want to give me two minutes on what happened to GameStop? Sure. I mean, the the simple version is that uh, hedge funds were making a bet that GameStop was going to uh, fall, the stock was going to fall. And people on Reddit got together and... uh, Gamers, young kids, I guess, decided that they were going to beat the hedge fund. So they rallied and drove the price up. And in the end, the price went very high. People were buying the stock, uh, urged on on Reddit. And uh, Wall Street made billions of dollars on it because each transaction gives them money. And some of them made a bundle. And a lot of the, uh, the people who bought in, they made money if they sold, but they were basically uh, selling it to other people in their same group. So an awful lot of the gains and losses were within the same group, but Wall so, Street won yet again. So what I understand is that, um, you know, GameStop is this old business that my kids who are in their twenties used to belong. It was, you'd go and you'd exchange video games, basically turn into PS4, I don't yeah. even know, get an Xbox, whatever. Um, so it was, it was going to die. It's a dying business. But what I understand is, the hedge funds who acknowledged it was dying and they started shorting it, meaning that they would borrow it at a higher price and then be able to buy it back at a lower price and make money off the difference. Yeah. What I understand is that not only did they short 100% of GameStop shares, but more like 140%, like actually more shares than GameStop even has. Is that even possible? Uh, that I, 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 I actually don't know. That's the, really the first time That's I, what I, I've heard. I'm hearing and that so- possibility. And that's why the people on Reddit were like, well, if 100% of this is shorted, then if we start buying it, that means everyone who shorted it is going to lose money, right? Yeah. And essentially, some hedge funds did lose. They lost money on that part of their transaction, but many of them made it up with later transactions. Right. uh, Which was, uh, you know, so you could lose on that short position. But then you make up for it because it really went went high, and then you bet against yourself later. Yeah. So you you so hedge what, against yourself. So what does this mean for the efficient market hypothesis? Meaning that all information is known in every stock price, and the stock price should accurately reflect the value of the company. Well, so ultimately, uh, well, you know, you can't take the take it too literally. It doesn't mean at every second it does. It means there's a strong tendency for fundamentals to be reflected. And uh, I think that's in the end, and it didn't take very long, a couple of weeks for prices to return to where they were two weeks ago, you know, where they were. Yeah. And they, it still might be a little bit higher than fundamentals, but still we don't know. That's hard to, to tell. But, you know, we, if we look back at this and you look at the charts later on, you'll this will be a blip. Yeah, right. And sure. blips are perfectly consistent with the efficient markets hypothesis. So you know, you and there was some change in fundamentals, actually, because I think the uh, with GameStop, they hired a new CEO, they had a new 
plan to try to transform themselves into doing online stuff better instead of just being a brick and mortar. Right. But, uh, you know, and I think that's kind of spurred a little bit of the interest in it was, well, maybe things are going to turn around and then they kind of notice other things. But, you know, ultimately it's, well, okay, things go up and then they go back to the fundamentals. So, you know, like I said, I think it'll end up being a, a blip if you look at the at the lines. But don't you imagine that there are members of the Reddit uh, board, Wall Street Bets, that are now looking for the next GameStop? Like they started investing in BlackBerry or some other obviously declining company that's overly shorted. I suspect they're looking for those. Yeah, well, and they did it simultaneously too. So BlackBerry, AMC, Entertainment, yeah. uh, and GameStop all all went up kind of at the same time. And GameStop is the one that went up the most. And, uh, you know, they're actually part of the market correcting. I mean, they're, this is no violation of efficient markets. This is the realization of it. They're seeing an advantage and they're jumping in and trying to make money off it. So it's exactly what should be happening. What I it's think just, is interesting. The odd is, part is it's new people in a new way that they're doing it. That's the, what I, I was just going to say. The actual thing going on, this is what it's about. That's what I was going to say. It seems like in the 80s, if I remember correctly, people decided to quit their jobs and be day traders, Yeah, sit in front of a computer and they would you know, trade on these very small margins. And hopefully at the end of the day, they had more, more money than they started with. It's not that different than going to a casino, right? Yeah. And so this to me just reminds me of that, that fad that I think went away, right? Well, I think that day trading, it turned into... Uh, being more like professional traders. Yeah. They were just going, you know, being more sensible, realized, well, the f- efficient markets bit them. Yeah. And they realized, geez, you just can't really pick winners. So right. they ended up having more diverse portfolios and were acted more like individual uh, trading companies rather than, you know, day traders. And then Robinhood comes along and they don't have transaction fees. Right. right? So then anyone with a hundred bucks can open a Robinhood account and, have yeah. fun looking for those deals out there. And, you know, well, there was one tragic story of a, of a young man who killed himself because his Robinhood account was so far into the negative and he didn't understand that it was going to be, you know, it wasn't a permanent thing, didn't exist. Right. And I think equally with uh, GameStop, there are people in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, they talked about a guy who's a millionaire on paper. He makes 35000 a year, but being a millionaire on paper isn't really that valuable for very long, right? No, no. I mean, you you really, I mean, an awful lot of the wealth that changed hands never actually affected anybody right. because it was a line in my ledger went up and a line in your ledger went down and then a week later it reversed. So, so do you, so then do you think that this uh, portends any sort of permanent shift in how Wall Street operates or do you just think it's a blip? So I think, it, it, it depends on whether the regulators do anything. Yeah. Right. So they might have to, I mean, there are some things that the regulators are being called to look into, like, uh, you know, trades were stopped or payments were stopped. Yeah. Uh, and this was called a, a big crisis or something, but that was, they had to do that. That was, yeah. they were just being prudent. That was yeah. also the, the market working because they needed to cover whatever payments they had to make. So they had to stop and they borrowed money and then they went on. Right. So I think in the end, the uh, I hope that there's no real changes in in regulation because, I mean, 
the, the federal government, the regulators didn't have to step in at all. Yeah. The markets seem to have taken care of the situation all by itself. You know, and it's, you know, there's a little bit of sympathy for not letting people, you know, impoverish themselves because they think they're, because they, they just have an app and then they lose $100,000 or something. I know. But, uh, you know, other than that, I can't really see that much will, will change. Because it's again, you know, Wall Street won. They're the ones who got more of the money than anybody else. So, and some, um, like what you were just discussing, some guardrails were put in place way back when in October of '87, right? When the market dropped so much in one day, they're like, "Well, yeah. we can't let that happen again." So right. those, yeah, and there are these, are the these guardrails that, that, yeah, that sort of corrected what was happening with Robin Hood one day. In yeah, January. yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's a fascinating uh, event that occurred. But it won't, I think in the end, it won't be uh, very, very game changing. Yeah, I did a podcast recently um, on this topic of children and financial literacy and it being an important thing to teach. And now I think to myself, like, if I had a 15 year old and I realized that what he was doing was actually, um, you know, Robin Hood game, that would be a very teachable moment, right? Well, there was, I think one thing that should be looked into is the manipulation of, of, of people, of young people by people on Reddit who were trying to make a profit and rallying people and telling them stories. I mean, they were being told that the price was going to hit a thousand or 500 or something. So to hang on. And that was clearly self-serving by whoever was telling them to to do that. So, you know, there might be things like, uh, you know, how, how is it that all these people without any capital or who were underage were, <laughs> were trading. So is there an age uh, limit, a minimum age for trading? Uh, I'm not sure what the rules are there, but it's <laughs> you. I know that a friend of mine, he had to lend. I don't know if he lent his kid his social security or something, you know, but there was something that had to, had to happen. Maybe it was some, a trading account or email. <laughs> doesn't sound good. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> But then it's, you know, these things are hard to enforce, but, you know, it is serious business getting in and risking money and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, age restrictions or, or something like that. But, you know, in terms of how the market actually operates, you know, once you're over 20, you know, that's, that's your money to lose. Go ahead. I think a lot of people learned a little bit about economics in the last yeah. couple of weeks. Yeah, right? some learned the hard way. <laughs> you know, <laughs> options aren't that easy to understand, but anyway. That's, you know, I could lecture, but I do think that they did learn the hard way. Um, well, so what I tell people, so I worked at the Fed and there were like 25, 30 economists there. And uh, I think to a person, our investment portfolio consisted of of an index fund. Sure. <laughs> yeah. That was it. You guys took a, a random walk down Wall Street. <laughs> yeah. And if we didn't have inside information, then who did? <laughs> right. Right. Um, it's fun. I don't know. Um, it's anyway, so good economic lesson. I want to talk about something else to do with the economy that I'm hearing a lot about these days, uh, which is, uh, raising the minimum wage, right? Hearing it at the federal level, which is very concerning to me, you know, Missouri has voted on it and States have voted, but a federally mandated, a dollar amount, whether you live in rural Mississippi or Manhattan, is very disconcerting to me. Um, and I don't think people really understand what happens when the minimum wage goes up. No, they they do not seem to. Uh, 
Because what does happen? Well, let me say up front, and this is with all of my economic expertise, and this might get a little technical, but a federal minimum wage of $15 everywhere in the United States is a monumentally stupid and idiotic idea. Very technical. (laughs) I hope that I didn't go. I think I'm I'm seeing where you're coming from. (laughs) So many of the reasons are like, like you mentioned, that it's the same everywhere in the country. Yeah, that's the reason that wages are lower in Mississippi than in Connecticut have nothing to do with whether the minimum what the government decides that the wages should be lower. And the government can't stamp in and just change it. It's productivity is different, a lot different. The types of businesses are very different. Cost of living. Labor force is very different. Prices are very different. And it's just awfully dumb to impose Connecticut's minimum wage on Mississippi, rural Mississippi. Yep. Uh, because minimum wage, if it's too high, at least, then it's a transfer from the poorest people and the least skilled people to those with better skills and more money. Explain because that. Most people who earn at or near the minimum wage are not even poor. This is like a terrible uh, anti-poverty measure because it's, I think it changes every year, but it's maybe a third of the people who earn the minimum wage are anywhere near poor. They're teenagers in lots of cases, right? It's, it's in, they, people live in well-off households and they're second earners or third earners. So it's teenagers, it's uh, uh, moms who went back to work part-time, uh, but the household income is, is still well above poverty. And if you impose the minimum wage, uh, those people will be drawn more into the market. Say it's a, a you know, just an example, a, a mom who decides to stay at home or work part-time. It's, well, if the wage goes higher, then she'll work more. And if she's from a middle-class household, she can, she's very productive. So she'll go and work more and hours will shift from the people who uh, don't have the same education, don't have the same uh, productivity level. And they'll be poor and will stay poor. So it's just a really bad idea in, to have it the same across all parts of the country. You know, you can argue that, uh, you know, there's some what reason you should have some minimum wage and because the effects at low levels aren't really very negative or something. And if you accept that, there's no good argument for it to be the same everywhere. It should be- I mean, be. if I have a small, a small store in uh, Mississippi and I'm paying everybody 10 or $12 an hour and I have to all of a sudden increase that. I, I'm not making more money and I'm not printing it out back. So it's going to come right out of my pocket and I'm going to have to have fewer employees. Yeah, no, it's you are going to hire fewer workers mm-hmm. and the workers who are going to lose their jobs are the ones that are only worth $10 an hour to you, the least productive. You're going to mm-hmm. keep the ones who are, who can do 12 or you're going to try to get more out of them by having new technology or something. I mean, those kiosks at McDonald's that you see coming in aren't everywhere. They're, they're now everywhere. And it's, it's because With an iPad? you're shifting from low productivity workers that you can't hire You're it's illegal to hire them into machines. Yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. I was in a Panera and I had a, a choice and they were like three feet apart of an iPad or a person. And it, you know, I actually went with the iPad because 
I could figure it out better. <laughs> well, I went with the iPad and I sort of felt guilty because here's a person and I'm using the iPad. Well, my order's always right when I do it myself. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I did see too that uh, Southern California imposed, I think, a $4 surcharge on wages during the pandemic. It was even worse than it was like a town or a city did. Oh, yeah. And so Kroger decided to close right. three grocery stores that weren't very high performing anyway. I think it was in Long Beach. Right. Um, because that's the kind of decisions you're going to make when some when somebody interferes with your uh, business strategy. That's what you're going to do, right? Well, and it's you know retailers work on very narrow margins. Mm -hmm. Supermarkets do. It's they seem giant. It's called they're called super, but yeah. they're working on very narrow margins. And again, it's even the customers lose out. Those Krogers are not the ones in the rich areas that were going to close. Right. You know they're that's worried right. about food deserts and low wages. So let's get rid that's of right. the grocery stores and the jobs. But you know, it's for some reason this federal minimum wage seems like it's such a, an appealing idea to people. Why do you think that people don't understand the repercussions? So, you know, so I unfortunately for my well-being, I'm on Twitter. So I read a lot of people that <laughs> Not good. things that people say on Twitter, and yeah. there's just a complete unicorn view of of how the economy works. That the reason wages are low is because there's not a law saying that they have to be higher. Yeah. Um, and it's right. You know, some it's evil corporations, you know, mom and pop store is an evil corporation just driving wages down and you somehow have to require that wages will be higher and boom, they'll just be higher. Similar story on forgiving student loan debt. Right. Right. It's I mean, just, woof. it just must seem like a great idea because I've got, you know, some student loan debt. I'd love for it to go away. Of course, I've also got a college degree, so I, I actually can earn more money. And I'm not talking about me personally. I'm way too old for student loan debt. But, um, you know, people think it must be a good idea because, you know, the 30% of Americans with college degree degrees can then just transfer their debt to 100% of taxpayers. Yeah, great. All those MBAs and lawyers, which make up the bulk of the student debt, and doctors, they get all that <laughs> yeah. wiped out. Fantastic. I, I and everybody else pays for it. Damn, people thinking that's a good idea. And like, I've had a couple of people, like friends and family say, what do you think of that? I'm like, it's an absolutely terrible idea. You're literally forgiving the debt of higher earners and passing it on. It doesn't go away. People think it just goes away. It doesn't go away. The money is owed to somebody. Somebody loaned that money out. They want it back. Yeah. So it will be and paid just won't be paid by the people who took the loans. It should just write it off. <laughs> yeah, it just goes away. And I, it's just unbelievable to me. I also surprise people regularly when I say that 30%, maybe 35% of uh, people in this country have a bachelor's degree. I just think right. most people just assume that most people do. It's like 65 to 70 do not. Right. So those people will be picking up the tab. Those people who might want their car loans forgiven will be picking up the tab for the student loans. Yeah. Crazy to me. Yeah, no, that that actually that keeps that's remarkable too all the time. People, well, it's the people we talk to have bachelor's degrees. That's all they that's all they meet is other people with bachelor's degrees. So they think everyone has one. Right. And it's no, it's right. I mean, higher education, it's more widespread, but it's not it's no, it's not really as common as people think. No. Okay, so what do you think? Um, just I'm going off topic a little bit here. What do you think uh, locally in the St. Louis region and Missouri, 
we should be doing now in response to the current economic situation. One thing that I'm reading more about that I'm thinking more about is the amount of stimulus money we've already received and haven't spent, right? So Missouri yeah. cities, counties, and the state have received a lot of money under the CARES Act. A lot of it has not yet been spent. I think we're about to get <clears throat> a bunch more. So the, the, the government response should most, I mean, the, there are places that really are, so, so I, I view this, the pandemic and the treatment of the pandemic by the government, that it's like, a, it's a taking to a large extent. If you have shutdowns, this is taking private property for a public purpose, which is to end a pandemic, right? So if you have a shutdown or regulations, uh, so the businesses should be compensated for that for various reasons, but, you know, but it should be to keep businesses so that they can weather the storm so that when we're out of this, then they're still there and then people can go back to work. And in the meantime, the people who can't work, they need assistance too. So all of that is, is fine. Uh, it's, I think there's a mistake to think that we can like boost the economy by pouring uh, government money into it, printed money into it. Because to me, we're already at close to full, full employment, Yeah. given the constraints of a pandemic. Because I mean, Missouri does not have very many restrictions at all on businesses mm -hmm. with with masks, or it's only St. Louis and Kansas City, the counties uh, they're in, that have restrictions. The reason that business is way down is because of the pandemic itself. Yeah, I mean, I I live in St. Charles, and I go to restaurants, and they have social distancing, they have masks, the stores have mask requirements. That's because people want to be safe when they go out. They're afraid. Right. It's not just the rules. Right. So you have to get rid of the pandemic. So we're, you get rid of the pandemic and then things will, will open up on their own. And maybe we'll need some support at that point. But right now, that's not the problem. Right. All of our resources should be going into giving people vaccines. Right. right. I mean, why, why aren't they just jabbing everyone walking down the street and just giving the vaccine and just getting it out already. I remember being a small child, like kindergarten, first grade, and we all had to go down to the gym and get some vaccine that I just, I mean, we weren't given any options. The I whole think it gym was, was the smallpox. It was the one that yeah, I've been left thinking the mark on your heart. What it was. And it's like, <laughs> guess what? Everyone's getting this right now. So, yeah. and we did it very quickly. Um, yeah, that's right. I think, I mean, I've, I've heard that the Missouri budget's higher than ever right now. So it's an odd, odd thing that the crisis in state budget, state and local budgets, it's not really happening. So, and uh, then I think 1.9 trillion just got approved by the Senate hours ago. Yeah. In and the middle of night. You know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm still amazed. I've just heard this the last few days, so I have to look into it, but there aren't real budget crises except for states that were poorly run to begin with. So parts of the response is to bail out bad decisions that have nothing to do with the pandemic. Right. I mean, Illinois is set to uh, to get a lot of money because of its idiotic pension pension yes. rules. Yeah. So, you know, right. a lot of that response is just not part of the recovery or addressing the pandemic at all. So much of the federal plan is is independent of the pandemic. Yeah. And all and resources and time should be spent on approving the vaccines that have already been approved in Britain and the EU. Yeah getting them over here. Well, I, you know, I talk about education policy all the time and I think there's another 133 billion for schools in there. And it's just a little ironic to me because fewer kids have shown up. 
like three, uh, about three to five percent nationally and in Missouri are, are missing. Um, buses aren't really running in lots of places. Uh, buildings aren't really open or cleaned or food service or any of that. And yet um, we need more money. Well, so you might know more about this than I in Nap Naperville, which is a well off in Illinois, you know, yeah. city outside Chicago. They actually had a surplus. Their school district had a big surplus. I think it was $14 million. So they decided to return, not 14 million, but 10 million back to the taxpayers. And they said, well, we don't, we're not running buses. We're not having to clean things. We're not doing foods, all, all of this. I'm thinking, geez, isn't this everywhere? Yeah, I think so. So what's going on with the you know school district budgets? Are they really, I mean, what's, I think they're anticipating, I think not in Missouri, not this year and probably not next year, but they're anticipating a bad year coming up. And so they're pulling back okay. um, and maybe some sales tax. And I think this is more of a local issue in terms of um, budget impact. But um, the federal government, it's like you just said, printing money and sending it out. And I think that should more than make up for any shortfall. So, Oh, absolutely. And maybe teachers should re be required to go and teach. I mean, preach. I mean, right? I think so. I mean, if I if grocery store workers and everyone else has to show up, I mean, that is a that's a big problem. I am very concerned about the missing kids. You know, ten percent of kindergartners in Missouri and in Missouri didn't show up, which I understand. If I had a kindergartner, I probably wouldn't start them off this year either. But we don't know where those kids are. And in Missouri, yeah. the fund the funding formula works that you can use last year's enrollment or the year before. So oh. we'll be funding these kids now for several years. So that's going to take more money. Um, because we're going to be funding kids who don't show up, but I, I mean, I, I don't know. $1.9 trillion sounds like a lot of money to me. It's a, a fairly large number for sure. Given that the, the federal budget, well, used to be, who knows what it is, is about $4 trillion or $5 trillion, something yeah. like that. So that's a incredible amount of money to, so, to just pour out. And, you know, in terms of you. teaching, I've been teaching since August, oh, uh, you have. live. Yeah. So uh, you know, we have lots of measures in place. So, You're in person? Uh, in person. Okay. Students are not required to come in person, but I'm there in person and students are there. Some of them, you know, most of them, they still say, it, it, we, we send it out virtually synchronously and record it. So unsurprisingly, students decide to not roll out of bed. College students. <laughs> yeah, but actually there's a big change from last semester to this semester because students learned that it really was terrible. Yeah. Not go to class. So getting more showing up. Oh, that's good. This semester, which is which is good. But, you know, it's you. But with kids, you know, college kids, they it runs rampant on college. Right. And I think they there might be herd immunity on universities. Who knows? Right. But, you know, it's just the CDC says it, you know, the, the risk to anybody of going kids going back to school, certainly younger kids. And with minimal uh, precaution, this is not really where we should be fighting the pandemic is to, you know, destroy young kids' lives. And, and I think we knew that. We knew that a long time ago because, um, or I remember reading in maybe June that the YMCA had been running uh, daycare clinics for frontline workers in March, April, May, right. and they didn't have outbreaks. And so I think we knew, you know, they came up with ways of like, they would put a sticker on a little kid's hand and he had to wash his hands until it came off. I mean, they came up with ways to, to help the kids understand what they needed to do. And, and there weren't really outbreaks. 
Okay, so I'd like to ask you to prognosticate a little bit. Oh, you came to the right guy. Great, <laughs> perfect. Um, after, after the pandemic 100 years ago in 1919, we entered sort of a time of economic explosiveness, the 20s. Yeah. Do you see that happening again once this pandemic lifts? I know people are really, uh, have got cabin fever. I mean, I do. Um, people want to get out. They want to travel. They want to go places, spend money. Do you see that happening? Uh, so that's a good question. And I'm, I'm not really sure because some people, you know, I talk to people and they say, well, I just feel differently. It's, uh, they kind of break out of their old habits. Uh, and, you know, it's the little things even like, you know, well, is everyone going to go back to the office? Or know. was this like a shock where it's, well, there were trends to moving towards working more from home. And this chat kind of pushed us further down the trend. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we'll travel, uh, rebound. Travel. Yeah. Business travel for sure. That's I think now that everyone's figured out how to zoom or whatever. Right. Business travel. To. I mean, that was the, uh, that was where the, they re the airlines really made their money and hotels yeah. made money. The profit on those people was huge, the margin. And, you know, I think businesses have learned that, you know, it's, you can make do with a zoom meeting Yeah. and, you know, vacations, you know, I'm going to take a lot of vacations myself because I haven't had one, Yeah. but you know, but I don't give them, you know, they're not merely making a lot of money on me. Right. So, you know, the, I think there'll be a big burst because of, you know, people have been saving their money instead mm -hmm. of spending it. And you know, things are depressed. So we'll have, we'll have huge growth numbers. Uh, but, you know, we have a new Biden administration. They seem to have a long list of things to tamp down growth. <laughs> so you have to counter, like what, counter uh, with $15 that. $15 minimum wage, maybe? That $15 minimum wage will keep us. <laughs> Student loan forgiveness? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. It's always great to talk to you uh, about things. The economy is a big one right now. So appreciate your thoughts. Well, thanks for having me on. Always, always love to spout off. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Institute podcast. Find more at showmeinstitute.org.